Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Well, today, uh, this is the wrap-up sermon on the B-I-B-L-E series, okay? Uh, Yes, that's the book for me. A lot of us grew up with that, right? That song when we were uh, in Sunday school and VBS and so forth. And uh, this has been a series that we've done here. I believe there's been 15 sermons in this series. We're wrapping up today. And uh, the thing that I want you to, uh, we've been emphasizing the entire time, is that every single word of the Old Testament uh, that Jesus referred to, he accepted it as 100% truth, okay? And uh, he set a pattern for us. For we also are to accept the word of God as 100% truth. And so today, uh, Jesus, we're going to look at what Jesus said about the martyrs. Uh, There were martyrs in the Old Testament, there were martyrs in the New Testament, and there are martyrs today. Okay, we're going to talk about all three groups, uh, and uh, this will be our, our closing message. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the B-I-B-L-E, how precious it is to us, Lord, this um, solid rock of... uh, your word that we can go to over and over and over again. And we can know right away what you think about this and that, what is pleasing to you and what is not pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, what uh, will draw your reward on Judgment Day and uh, what will not? Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it is a reliable guide for us. And we ask now, Lord, that you would bless our time together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The year was 1937, and a deputy of Joseph Stalin was sent to a paper factory to give a speech in praise of their fearless leader. When he finished the speech, his audience stood to its feet with a standing ovation. Alexander Solzhenitsyn tells the story of what happened next, and I quote, the applause went on and on. Six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes. They're done for now. Their goose is cooked. They couldn't stop now till they collapsed with heart attacks. At the rear of the hall, which was crowded, some people could, of course, cheat a bit, clap less frequently, less vigorously, not so eagerly. It was 10 minutes. It was uh, nine minutes. It was 10 minutes. It was insanity. To the last man, says Solzhenitsyn, with make-believe enthusiasm on their faces, looking at each other with faint hope, the district leaders were going on and on, applauding till they fell where they stood, till they were carried out of the hall on stretchers. Then after 11 minutes, the director of the paper factory assumes a business-like expression and sits down in his seat. And a miracle took place. To a man, 
everyone else stopped cold and sat down. But, says Solzhenitsyn, that same night, the paper factory director was arrested. He was sentenced to 10 years on the pretext of something quite different But after he had signed Form 206, the final document of the interrogation process, his interrogator reminded him, don't ever be the first to stop clapping. Now here's the sad but tragic truth. Joseph Stalin was by far the most ruthless and brutal dictator the Russian people had ever known. Between the forced labor camps, the forced famines, the massacres, and the purges, at least 20 million and possibly up to 60 million perished. We know that Stalin starved at least 5 million Ukrainians by seizing their grain harvest and not permitting them to eat the fruit of their own labor. The workers at the paper factory, they knew all this. They had to be thinking, And we're supposed to be clapping for this guy? Solzhenitsyn asks the question, how does freedom die? And then he answers his own question by thunderous applause. Today in our woke, politically correct culture, no person and no corporation wants to be seen as the first one to stop clapping. To do so is to be vilified, To be shamed, some try to hide in the back of the room where no one can see them. But when our hiding is exposed, most of us reluctantly clap along. At least that's what happened on June 6th of this year, when players of the Tampa Bay Rays were asked to wear a gay pride emblem, and one by one, they all agreed, except for five. All pitchers. Jason Adams spoke for the five. He said, so it's a hard decision, Adams said, because ultimately we want gays to know that they are welcome and loved here, but when we put a gay emblem on our bodies, it's a lifestyle we don't want to encourage because we believe in Jesus who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior. Boy, now that took guts, didn't it? It takes real courage to come out as a Christian today. Now we can all guess what happened next, right? We've seen this movie many times. ESPN Sarah Spain calls these Christian men bigots. St. Louis Cardinal pitcher Jake Flaherty called them, quote, an absolute joke. The social media critics went crazy. Folks, you don't want to be the first one who stops clapping. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Rays, they're falling all over themselves to assure the press that they are vigorously clapping. They handed out many pride flags. They handed out pride hats. They even became the first pro team to sign a brief to the Supreme Court in support of same-sex marriage. 
and they gave 20,000 bucks to an inclusive organization that was inclusive to everyone except followers of Jesus Christ. But what else is new? Jesus has always been on the wrong side of history. In Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. <clears throat> but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Those are the few who have never been afraid to stop clapping. And for that, many have lost their lives. Today, we're going to look at what Jesus taught about four groups who are martyred. God's chosen, the Jews in the Old Testament. God's children, the Christians in the New Testament. God's chosen, the Jews today. And God's children, the Christians today. We're going to look at these four groups one by one. The first group martyred are God's chosen, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Now, since the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the Jews have been God's chosen people. Every Christian who truly loves God cannot help but love God's chosen people, the Jews. And from day one, they have been scorned and harassed and humiliated and killed for their identity as God's special people. Worse yet, many of them were killed by their fellow Jews. In Matthew 23, Jesus singles out the Pharisees as being enemies of God's people in spite of their Jewish bloodline. In verse 29, Jesus says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets. You decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You see, the Jews love to honor their prophets. They love to honor their heroes of the past. If you can go to Israel today, as I have done many times, you see this all over the country. You see their tombs, their monuments, their markers to their heroes. The Pharisees love to give long-winded speeches about how great their prophets were. Jesus calls them out. He says to them, in a sense, what a bunch of baloney. What a bunch of hot air. For at this very moment, you're scheming how to kill me. Obviously, Jesus was the greatest prophet of all. And two days later, the Pharisees would rally their fellow Jews to crucify the very Son of God. That's how they would fill up the measure of the sin of their forefathers. Verse 35, Jesus says to the Pharisees, And so upon you will come all of the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, 
from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, A to Z, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, Abel, the first martyr in the Bible, killed by his brother Cain because he could not tolerate his brother's godly lifestyle. Abel's obedience exposed Cain's disobedience. And this happened over and over again throughout the Old Testament, all the way down to the prophet Zechariah, who was one of the last prophets in the Old Testament. It's interesting that Zechariah wrote more about the coming Messiah than any other Old Testament prophet other than Isaiah. And they killed him. And Jesus now accuses the Pharisees of being complicit in that murder because they're plotting to do the same thing to him, Jesus, the greatest Jewish prophet of all. You see, you are not automatically guilty of the sins of your parents and grandparents and forefathers unless you have the same attitude and the same conduct as they did. Then you're guilty because you're doing the same thing. So the first group of martyrs were God's chosen, the Jews in the Old Testament. The second group of martyrs were God's children, the Christians, in the New Testament. Jesus prophesies of this in verse 33, that the Pharisees would add to their guilt by killing even more godly leaders. He says to them, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how are you going to escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets, and I'm sending you wise men and teachers, and some of them you're going to kill, and you're going to crucify them. And others you will flog in your synagogues, and you will pursue them from town to town. Do you know that's exactly what happened in the book of Acts? God's people endured heavy persecution. Read the book of Acts. Chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. Chapter 7, Stephen is killed. Chapter 8, the persecution spread throughout Judea and into Samaria. And the persecution included both Jewish followers of Christ and Gentile followers of Christ. Both were now identified as children of God. You see, when Jesus came, he established a new covenant which included anyone who chose to follow him. In John 10, 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep, other than Jews, who are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Colossians 4.11 tells us that there were many leaders in the early church who were not Jews, including Luke, who was the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. If there were any doubts about the culpability of the Pharisees, it was erased by their conduct after Jesus rose from the dead. They still refused to believe, and they hunted down anybody who did believe. In fact, of the original 12 disciples, only John is known to have died a natural death. As far as we know, all the others were martyred 
for their faith. Now this brings us to the third group of martyrs. God's chosen, the Jews, today. Starting in verse 36, Jesus begins teaching about these chosen people, the Jewish people, and how they will suffer horrible atrocities that will last for centuries to come. He says, I tell you the truth, all this will come on this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house, the temple, is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Friends, Jesus is pronouncing a curse on the Jewish people for rejecting him. The vast majority rejected him. And that curse fell on the Jews and it is extended to our very day. This fall, Sue and I have been watching Ken Burns' new series entitled The U.S. and the Holocaust. You know what many don't realize? The Holocaust is just one chapter in a 2,000-year history of mass slaughters of Jews. It started 37 years after Jesus said these words in Matthew 23. 1,100,000 Jews were massacred by the Roman general Titus when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., 37 years after Jesus said these words. At the very same time, the throats of 10,000 Jews were slit in Damascus. And after that, the Romans declared that the Jews were a subhuman species and they were banished from Palestine. Years later, the Byzantines also banished the Jews from Jerusalem when they tried to resettle there in 630 AD. And then along came the Crusaders in the 11th century. They killed thousands more Jews, thousands of more Jews on their way to liberate the Holy Land from the Muslims. And then the English came along, expelled the Jews from their country in the 1200s. In the 1300s, the Jews were blamed for the Black Plague. In Spain, in the 1400s, the Jews were expelled at the very same time that Columbus was sailing to America. And then France. And then Poland. And then Russia. All had their purges of the Jews. All told, 79 nations. Think about that. 79 nations have driven the Jews from their borders at one time or another. And the hostility continues to our present day. Up until 1990, 70% of all United Nations resolutions, you know, they gather every year, they make all these resolutions, seven out of 10 of their resolutions are critical of Israel. The only Jewish nation on earth. Egypt used to be the home of 90,000 Jews 80 years ago. 
But when we visited Egypt, I said to our guide, I said, how many Jews live in Egypt? He said, there's 50. 50 out of 90,000. And he said, they're all old men that refuse to move. Baghdad, the city of Baghdad, where our troops were <laughs> uh, liberated that city, the city of Baghdad was one-third Jewish at one time. Morocco had over 300,000 Jews. All of them are gone now. But none of this should surprise us since Jesus prophesied that the hostility toward the Jewish people would continue and continue until that future day when the Jewish people finally welcome him as their Messiah and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Zechariah 12 verse 10 describes that day like this. It says, they will look on me my Jewish people, they will look on me, the one that they pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and they will grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Zechariah 14 tells us about that day. It's gonna be at the end of the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation, and Christ will return to planet Earth. And verse two says, I will gather all of the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. That's the battle of Armageddon. And then the Lord will go out and he will fight against these nations. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Every group we take to Israel, we stand on the Mount of Olives. And, and we'll talk about this passage here. And Jesus says, there will be a day I will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in two. And the Lord my God will come and all of the holy ones with him and the Lord will be king over all the earth. That's the 1,000 years millennial kingdom when Christ will reign out of Jerusalem. Today we see the Jews turning to Jesus by the thousands. Do you realize that in 1967 there were 2,500 Jews, Messianic Jews, that believed in Jesus? Today it's between 100 and 300,000. Okay? But during the tribulation period, they will turn to Jesus in mass by the millions after these 144,000 Jewish evangelists go out and evangelize them, Revelation chapter seven. It's gonna be quite a day. Romans eleven twenty six says all Israel will be saved. But sadly, until that day, the hostility is going to continue toward God's chosen people, the Jewish race. And that brings us to the fourth group of martyrs, we're talking about God's children today, the Christian people. In the next chapter, Matthew 24, Jesus talks privately now to his disciples. And he says in verse 9, he says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and they will betray and they will hate each other. The disciples had just asked Jesus about the end of the age. So Jesus is referring to more than just the Jewish people here. 
The Apostle Paul taught in Romans eleven seventeen that we as believing Gentiles, we've been grafted in to the Jewish vine. So now we're one people. Jesus said, John 10, 16, they too will hear my voice, the Gentile believers, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. In John 15, Jesus solemnly warns. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as, is, as it is, you don't belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. For nearly two and a half centuries, believers in America, we have been protected by a constitution that guarantees us freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom to assemble. But all three of those core freedoms are under serious attack today. Author Steve Miller describes it as a three-stage process in his book, Foreshadows, 12 Mega Clues That Jesus' Return is Near. I want you to know today that Satan has used this same playbook. He used it in North Korea. He's used it in China. He used it in India. He used it in Iran. He used it in Pakistan. Now he's using it in Europe and he's using it in Canada, and he's using it in Australia, and he's using it here in America. It's the same playbook. The first stage is marginalization. You marginalize the Christians in your nation. You move Christianity to the margins of the society. Marginalization involves silencing, dismissing, criticizing Christians. We see this in the campaign to transition from Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays. No longer do schools have Christmas break. Now they call it winter break. Every January, we have the largest pro-life gathering in the world. Hundreds of thousands will gather in Washington, D.C. It's called the March for Life. But you would never know it if you're listening to ABC or NBC, or CBS, or MSNBC, if you're reading the New York Times, the Minneapolis Tribune, for these news sources, it's a media blackout. Not a word is said. And each year, meanwhile, the hostility grows. Shortly after President Biden took office, Focus on the Family was banished from Twitter. In Georgia, Atlanta fire chief was fired. His offense was publishing a Bible study booklet for the men in his church. And in that booklet, there happened to be a sentence that said, marriage is between a man and a woman before God. That was his offense. Heartland family, make no mistake about it, we are far past the marginalization stage. We're well into stage two, the demonization stage. The demonization of Christianity involves more overt forms of rejection, stigmatizing, denouncing, vilifying believers. In the spring of 2020, COVID cases skyrocketed in New York City. 
and the hospitals were overwhelmed, one of the first organizations to answer the call was Samaritan's Purse. They set up a field hospital in Central Park, provided outstanding care for their patients. More than 300 were successfully treated, and yet despite the outstanding medical care they delivered, the city leaders of New York City ran them out of town. Said, you've gotta leave. One liberal politician tweeted, Samaritan's Purse is led by the notoriously bigoted, hate-spewing Franklin Graham, unquote. In Columbia, Missouri, Pastor Keith Simon of the Crossing Church, this church had served their community with coat drives and food shelves and all kinds of ministries to the poor. But until Keith Simons preached a sermon on the biblical view of genders, that God has created us as male and female, that's all he did. Immediately, the next week, the businesses of Columbia, Missouri, and the community organizations and the city leaders cut ties with the church. They were no longer allowed to serve their community. Meanwhile, the Alliance Defending Freedom which is a Christian legal group that defends Christians against discrimination, has found itself discriminated against. They are called a hate group, blacklisted by Amazon, and then Facebook, and then Twitter, and then Spotify. The table is being set right now for stage three. The persecution of Christians in the persecution of Christians, stage three is criminalization, okay? This has happened in many, many times before, North Korea, China, right down the line. This happens when being a Christian or exercising your faith leads to legal consequences. They can range from fines, usually to begin with, to imprisonment, all the way to be sentenced to labor camps or torture, or death. Right now, Europe is paving the way a whole new slew of hate speech laws. In Germany, merely insulting can be ruled a criminal offense. It's also illegal to homeschool your kids in Germany. In Germany, parents are told, we will teach your kids and we will train them as we wish. In Poland, to offend someone's religious feelings can lead to two years in prison. In China, if you mention Jesus on social media, you will lose points in your social credit score. And if your score gets low enough, you will lose your job and you will not be allowed to use credit cards and so forth, use the banks and so forth. They will simply isolate you. Here in America, the liberals are turning up the heat. We saw this in 2021 when Oral Roberts University made it to the Sweet 16 of uh, basketball playoffs, March Madness. And immediately, the critics were out there wanting to boot them out of the basketball playoffs. Why? Because Oral Roberts University affirms biblical marriage. 
Under fire, Baylor University, which is a Baptist school, was pressured to grant a charter to a gay rights group to operate on their campus. Across the country, Bible colleges are facing a barrage of lawsuits. Schools like Moody Bible Institute are accused of discriminating against gay students. The College of the Ozarks has been pressured by HUD, that's the Federal Housing Department, to allow members of the opposite sex to share dormitories if they wish, to share shower facilities if they wish. Imagine that, okay? Some, like Ozarks President Jerry Davis, they're drawing a line in the sand. Close us down if you wish. We will not abide by that. Seminary President Al Mohler laments the fact that all too few Christian schools are taking a stand. Most of them, says Moeller, they're caving like a house of cards. I close with this. I am so thankful for Erwin Lutzer's new book, No Reason to Hide. Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. It was interesting to read about Lutzer's dentist friend who had to undergo an online implicit bias training seminar. That's what they called it. At the end of the training, they were asked to submit questions. So his dentist friend ended up being the only one that would actually push back against the training. He wrote, I don't require my Muslim patients to say that it's good that I eat bacon. I don't require my atheist patients to say it's good that I believe in God. I don't require my gay patients to say that it's good that I have biblical Christian values. So why on earth do I have to tell my gay patients that being gay is good? The answer he received back was gay sexuality is central to their identity. It is very hurtful. It can cause great distress if we don't affirm gay people. And he was also made crystal clear to him if he did not go along, if he didn't keep clapping, he would face legal repercussions for not affirming his gay patients. As I mentioned in the story about Stalin, his dentist friend better start clapping. And the louder, the better. The message was unmistakable. You want to keep your job? Start clapping. Heartland family, this is the new reality. It's right there. Okay? These are the training sessions, seminars going on across our country right now. And you know what, folks? This is from the pit of hell. It really is, okay? It's from the pit of hell. If you don't believe me, read chapter four of Erwin Lutzer's book, what they're doing with diversity, equity, and inclusion, which don't mean the words, they've, they're redefining these words the way they want to define them, okay? If you haven't faced this at your workplace, you're gonna face it soon, one of my friends in the Metro told me recently, he said the training seminars at his workplace, first they were annually, then they were quarterly, then they were monthly, then there's daily reminders. 
in their emails, and he finally got to the place, he says, you know, I don't think I've crossed the line yet with the things I'm supposed to sign, but I was getting close. Some of his Christian friends weren't so sure. They felt they had crossed the line. So my friend ultimately quit, got a different job. LGBTQ and DEI go hand in hand, okay? And uh, interestingly, one of the biggest groups that is pushing back against this are the black conservatives, like Larry Elder, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina, Tony, Pastor Tony Evans, Dallas, uh, Vadi Bauckham. There's a whole list of black conservatives that says, this is going to be worse for us, far worse, if we're put into this special class of victims. That's the worst thing you can tell our people. Friends, this stuff isn't going to go away. More and more Christians are going to be faced with this dilemma. I can either be loyal to Jesus or I can be loyal to my employer, but I can't do both. For this reason, friends, this, this is why it's all the more important that we band together as Christian brothers and sisters, that we support each other. You know what? If you're isolated, you're going to get picked off. That's why I want to say to all the people online, get to church. Come back to church. You need to look at your Christian brothers and sisters eyeball to eyeball. Okay? We need each other more than we ever have before. Alone, we're very weak. We're very vulnerable. Together, we are very strong. But with Christ, we're invincible. We're invincible. Praise God. Are you trusting in him today?